1: I'm Chris Stashu.
2: I'm Mike White. And this is Father Malone.
1: And we are the hosts of Dreams for Sale, a a once-a-month look at The Twilight Zone 1985, a television show that is a remake of the original Twilight Zone, made in 1985, if you couldn't tell. On this episode, we are going to be taking a look at two episodes of the show, not one, because the show changed its format, so we have to catch up. On this episode, we're going to be talking about episodes seven and eight, The Road Less Traveled, The Card... And The Junction. So, The Road Less Traveled aired December 18th, 1986. It is directed, once again, by Wes Craven, written, once again, by George R. R. Martin, and it stars the bitchin' in the kitchen man himself, Cliff DeYoung, as a draft dodger, who starts seeing his non-draft dodger version of himself. And I'm actually gonna jump out in front of both of y'all for the first time. This, right now, is my favorite episode of this show. Period. And I don't know if it's pandery, if it's saccharin, if it's too sentimental. I legitimately cried during this episode multiple times. It was a brutal episode in the vein of *Toys of Caliban*. But I'm curious, Mike and Father Malone, where
2: do you guys come down on this episode? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say because I I really did not like this episode. Wow. Uh, I thought the uh, I thought the performances were great. I love all the actors uh, in 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 it. Um, it's obviously well shot, but um, I just did not think it had any handle on the subject matter it was trying to present to us. It felt like uh, a Rod Serling version of the earlier episode of this iteration of the Twilight Zone. Uh, the what was it? Um, the, the William Friedkin episode, Nightcrawlers. Yes. Yep like right. it felt like a hey let's take that episode and we'll just have characters sit around and talk about it uh i i, I don't know i i did not i did not like this i did not like this
3: <laughs> mike i would be very curious to see the longer version of this cuz apparently it was originally 45 minutes long they cut it down because right. i was really confused through a lot of this as far as it took me a while to realize that other people could see the Clifty Young in the wheelchair. And then the whole idea of like the Clifty Young who's not in the wheelchair, him having flashbacks, and then eventually they join up together at the end. So they're one whole person. But then I'm like, okay, so whose memories does he have at that point? (laughs) It was just kind of strange. I know what they were going for. I could have been offended, I guess, as far as like, try you know people that were getting out of the war versus people that served their country and you know some people looked down upon the folks that you know absconded to Canada or who just you know managed to stay out of the war I kind of applaud them for that but yeah I I was like I kind of got over that and was just like all right this does not feel like it is casting judgment necessarily on Clifty young who wasn't in the wheelchair um, so yeah it didn't affect me that much as you Chris I wasn't offended by it um, I was just a little confused by it honestly both of your
1: criticisms are completely valid I father Malone I I don't disagree with you I mean some of the performances some of the performances are a little ham-handed and they're a little much frankly there's so much that they almost attempt to actively derail the episode.
2: I was just, I I don't think I was confused uh, so much as I kept waiting for some other thing to happen. I I was hoping it was a case of like, this is, you know, they, I I, I don't know if we had seen more from the Vietnam guys perspective. uh, I think I I might've liked it more somehow, but like, it's clearly him and his regret at not at at not serving in the war and my attitude is good for you man fuck that shit like Uh, You know, this was a point in American history uh, right here in the 80s where Platoon had come out and Full Metal Jacket and Nightcrawlers had come out where America was finally sort of dealing with Vietnam and the notion that this guy had regret at his decision, uh, I'm not sure what the accomplishment was because clearly what would have happened is he would have been tortured with nightmares and no legs in a VA hospital with no one to love him for the rest of his life. Now, does that life deserve the life that he ended up getting? Sure, maybe, but like... It doesn't mean that this character should regret his decision in any way. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a peacenik.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you, frankly. Again, to both of your points, fuck that shit regarding the Vietnam War. Nothing is worse. <clears throat> well, nothing is worse for generations that are still alive than the way that people who came back from Vietnam were treated, and it's not getting any better in this country in regards to the way the veterans are treated. And, and that's I'm not even saying anything that people don't know or people don't internalize or frankly, things that people don't ignore, because I think this country has done a lot more ignoring than owning up to shit in the last 70 years. But I think this is a very interesting little microcosm look at. I don't know. how I mean, I applied this less to Vietnam and more to just this guy's life in general I know it's about Vietnam, but the themes that they touch on are very interesting themes of what if I had done something else? What would that, what would that have looked like? What would I missed out on? How were, how were other people's lives drastically different because of my own choices? Cause mind you, his wife in this episode is dead in the other guy's life because wow. he, him and her didn't stay together. And again, I, I again, to your point, father Malone, there's a, there's a lot of problems here. But that scene between Cliff Young and Cliff DeYoung at the end of the episode where it's him talking to his Vietnam self, I think is a fantastic performance from Cliff Young, acting against himself and obviously Margaret Clank. But that scene is heartbreaking. And I think that scene kind of puts everything else in the episode, kind of just quiets it all down. And that scene, allowing that scene to really breathe and almost to a fault, letting it breathe. I think that 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 episode's little scene does more for the episode than any of the other scenes do. But again, that's just me.
2: What I kept thinking during that scene was, why aren't we seeing regular, everyday Clifty Young experiencing the horrors of Vietnam? Mm. Like, what we got was this sort of elegiac, here's the life that you were denied, sir, uh, ending, as opposed to the previously stated by the character in the same scene, you're going to have nightmares, you're going to have the feeling of being in a bed for all these years and stuck in this chair, and none of that was given to us. I mean, really. Anytime we went back to Vietnam, it was, you know, sort of chaotic, but nothing really truly horrific was going on, so we weren't really seeing this guy's perspective. Uh, So that kind of bothered me. They also could have, uh, for the sake of argument... Uh, shown all the good things he did in Vietnam, like a number of lives that he had saved that would now be dead because of his decision. I don't know, it just like it, the episode felt like it wanted to take a stance on a very touchy subject, but at the same time refused to take that stand. Either way.
1: Well, and I think that that is due to CBS's meddling. And at least everything that I've read, I don't know what, what y'all read, it seems CBS decided to take the axe to this episode. More so than anything else we've watched on this show. It was an hour long, like you said, Mike. And it's 24 minutes now. Where are those other 20 minutes? They're on the DVD. I don't have the DVD. If you have the DVD or someone else has the DVD or it's on YouTube, I would love to see it. I couldn't find it. But I'm curious what those other 20 minutes are, like you said, Mike, because it may make this episode... It may answer the problems that you have problems with, Father Malone. I'm not saying it's going to, but more footage from this episode dealing with maybe Clifty Young's character when he's not in the Vietnam version of himself. Maybe there would have been more of that. I don't know. I just don't know. It seems like a giant missed opportunity if you ask me.
3: It was just, it was strange how Farley locked Brad up and then was trying to get (laughs) Janet to sign the contract. (laughs) (laughs) But when they had that duet when they're singing against each other, I thought that was a very effective scene.
1: Yes, another thing Clifton Young plays two characters in. Jesus Christ.
3: Yeah, right. The best thing you could
1: ever do is die. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell our listeners what we're talking about, because if you've never seen it, that's on you.
2: You've never seen.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I have. Um, Why haven't you
1: done an episode on that show, my dude? Why haven't you done an episode on shock treatment?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I should, just be for, the, uh, for the, the Rocky Horror people who keep attacking me now on... Uh, <laughs> Uh, for 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 pointing out that there were similarities between two movies, Uh-oh. taking me yeah. taking me to task for it. Father
1: Malone made the uh, the mistake, Mike, of comparing Phantom of the Paradise and Rocky. <gasps>
3: <gasps> oh my!
1: Tut tut yeah. tut, old man! Tut tut tut! And, How dare you draw comparisons?
2: Yeah, and and not not only do uh, they they point out that Rocky Horror is a superior film, but I I mean one. One commenter left like twelve to fourteen paragraphs showing how the movies were different. <laughs> wow.
3: Bless First her off. heart.
2: You can't compare two cult
1: classics, so bye. <laughs> Just, Jeez. Those yeah, are I
3: under- different. I movies, understand
2: territoriality folks. and all, but come on now.
3: Yeah.
1: What wow. territoriality is there with Phantom of the Paradise? People in Winnipeg getting upset? <laughs> I don't know, like, we all love Phantom of the Paradise, the three of us do. I know we do. I know Father Malone does. Guy's got a tattoo of Swan Records on his arm. I know Mike does, because, Mike, weren't you on a culture cast when we talked about it? I
3: think so, yeah. And yeah. I've done my own episode as well.
1: Yeah. Like, pff, don't need to be territorial about Phantom of the Paradise and Rocky Horror. One almost everybody has heard of. The other yeah. one, not so much. Yeah.
2: Which is funny because that's the, that's the whole reason I bring it up in, in this thing about Phantom of the Paradise. It's like, here are two cult classics. This one came out first, and you ought to know about it, but instead you only know about this one. But that just that inference that people should know, people have taken to mean uh, this movie is better than that movie, which is never oh, what I've said. Jeez. Yeah.
1: But anyway. I will say that shock treatment's amazing, and if you have never seen it, you should watch it.
2: With Clifty Young, back to this episode.
1: Yep, right back to this episode. And oh, look,
2: uh, Let me point out, uh, what what is her name? Susan Plank, or is it Margaret? Margaret Plank. Margaret Plank. Um, th- the only benefit I got out of this episode is she was in an episode of Tales from the Dark Side called Seasons of Belief, which is the best Christmas horror thing I've ever seen. And uh, I kept thinking about that every time she was on screen, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Margaret Clank is also a Jungian analyst, so she's kind of not doing the whole acting thing right now. So she, she seems to be wow. uh, pursuing heady, headier goals. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she's uh, honestly, I think she's pretty good in this in this episode. She's not given much to do. No,
2: no, she's no. just the concerned wife, right? But uh, <laughs> is so Clifty Young is the house husband in this situation. Yeah, so it was a nice little yeah. detail.
1: Yeah, and it's and look, I think Wes Craven does a good enough job. I don't think it's as good as some of the other Wes Craven episodes he's done.
3: It, but it's no Shatter Day.
1: No,
2: no. But at or, the same uh, time, they have Vietnam flashbacks in this in this episode that you know they clearly shot in California, but it looks great. I mean, yeah. it certainly doesn't yeah. look like a half hour television show.
3: Uh-uh.
1: No, that's that is the shame about this segment is all of the good stuff got cut out. And I'm sure that a lot of the good stuff is stuff that is a little bit more controversial. Because, like you said, Mike, this is a time where this is not probably something that is still, like, as mainstream. So. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else?
2: No. Not
1: every... No one was as effusive as I was, which I'm not surprised by. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's move on to the next segment Of the second episode we're talking about, The Card. So The Card is directed by Bradford May, written by Michael Cassett. It stars Susan Blakely and William Atherton. Susan Blakely plays a woman who has absolutely no control on her spending. Very 80s. She has a credit card. Whoa. (laughs) She has a new credit card that she got because she couldn't get approved for any other ones because she's blown her wad and completely screwed herself with all of her other credit cards because she was never paying for them, so now she has the card.
3: I talked about how I was confused by the last episode. I was even more confused by this one. (laughs) Does she just forget that they said that you have to pay stuff back after a week? Or does she just not care? She's not smart enough to figure that her cat and her dog and her kids are missing. I guess it's once the kids are missing she figures it out. But it's like, my god, lady, you really need to be a little smarter and more conscientious. I kind of I want everything bad in the world to happen to this person, because, like I said, she either doesn't know or doesn't care, doesn't remember that she needs to pay this card. So, yeah, fuck her.
1: It, it seems a lot like a Tales from the Crypt episode. Like, this is... This is as close as we've seen this show to getting to Tales from the Crypt, because not only is the character completely irredeemable, she gets what she deserves in the end, and she really gets it in the end. <laughs> like, I, 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 I don't know how you feel about a Father Malone, but it is, I'm getting hard Tales from the Crypt vibes from this this episode segment.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, definitely in that we've got an unlikable protagonist. I mean, this, I, I don't know how we're supposed to root for her at all. Uh -uh. Uh, She signs this contract without reading one word after being admonished that there are severe penalties for not doing this. So, we've got a character who doesn't give a shit about that, doesn't give a shit about paying on time, and uh, and then, on top of that, cannot figure out what is evident. Right. Once your pets start disappearing and your husband is telling you that you haven't paid the credit card, put two and two together for fuck's sake. So, I
1: and she entered this the place with the card, and a woman was leaving the acquisitions room with her baby in her arms, clutching it for dear life. Right. Why would you sign up for
3: this shit? Come on. It's worse than that the pets are gone. It's that no one has any memory of the pets. It's like, are you gaslighting me? What's going on? Like, you would think after the cat, when everybody's like, we've never had a cat, you'd be like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? I would be really upset all of a sudden, like... I would go zero to 60 if people started telling me we never had a cat when I know damn well we had a cat. And I think, yeah, I might figure it out a little quicker than this lady does because it sure takes her a long damn time. And what doesn't make sense to me is that we have
2: professional asshole uh, William Atherton here as a husband who clearly has a job and is offered to give her money. I mean, at one point he says, I'm not going to just give you money so you can go spend it. But I mean – just say hey we need to pay this by this date like yeah. it didn't seem like she didn't have the funds that was there it's just that she wasn't asking for the right reasons it, uh, i don't know this oh man we've been watching some really good ones but
3: this one is really bad yeah and of all people you would think that william atherton would be the a hole in this because he is that's that's what he does he comes in yeah
1: it's true, Your Honor. <laughs> this man has no dick. <laughs> what else does anyone know William Atherton from? For the most
3: part, like just I, he's been in other stuff. Die, die, hard. die hard. Yep. Die sure. Hard. But real like, genius. Oh yeah. And again, super dick and that. Uh, yeah, he's as well. an asshole in all of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's an asshole in Ghostbusters. He's an asshole in Die Hard. He should have been an asshole here, but yet for some reason he's this most sympathetic character. <laughs> what the fuck kind of episode is this? It sh- you know what it should have been just spitballing here. It should have been William Atherton as like a like a rich business dickhead who is just constantly blowing up his credit, and he's got a girlfriend played by Susan Blakely, and that's the setup because he can be imminently unlikable. We've seen it in everything else, yep. so why not just cast him as the fucking lead? Yeah, it' because to make Susan Blakely more despicable because she's a mom who doesn't care about her kids right.
2: oh no because women use credit cards that's uh that's true that's that's what we're getting from yeah. this mid 80s slice of life. don't
1: you get it right, even yeah. though the last episode had a man working at home but okay
2: like did they not have a conversation about buying a refrigerator before they were in the refrigerator shop like hmm. would he not have said either why are we buying a fridge or I'll take care of it please don't put it on a credit card because you keep messing the payments? None of it. I I I think there was a serious topic to, uh, you know, like the idea of credit and rooking people or people using it uh, sort of haphazardly, like, is worth examining. And they had the opportunity here, and instead they just gave us, like, the worst case scenario where it's just like, yeah, okay, good, I hope you disappear.
1: This feels like an 80s thing, too. Like, oh, credit cards are weird. Fuck, no, you couldn't make this episode now. Everybody has a credit card. In this episode, it makes it feel like having a credit card is like a weird thing. I wasn't alive in the 80s, so I can't comment. But this feels like a very 80s... Like, if you want to take a pin and put it in an episode that feels like the 80s, this is one of them. This feels like such an 80s episode.
3: What it reminded me of was that water episode from just a few um, things ago... And you know, in that, the woman didn't get her come ups, comeuppance, even though I kind of think that she should have. Um, you know, but because the husband made the sacrifice, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, the, both of those, when you said '80s, both of those felt very '80s to me. But yeah, you're right. This is the. It was so strange how it's like, yeah, because credit cards, credit cards are evil, and we know that. This also reminded me of the um, that. That segment from Cat's Eye, Quitters Inc. It also reminds yeah, me of that, um, and I guess because of the whole like doing anything to quit smoking cigarettes and then putting your your family at jeopardy, and it takes that in order for you to stop. Yeah, but at least that
2: was a little bit deft. Like you could see the character struggling yeah. to not do the do the thing. Here, it's. It's not only that she like can't stop the spending, but like when she spends it for the final time, it seems like a legitimate reason where her car is now dead and she needs right. to have it towed. But again, call your husband and say the car broke down. And blah, blah, blah. Like, there was no reason for her to be using the credit card. If they had shown her being the actual spendthrift that they were sort of hinting at throughout the entire thing, then I could see it. And, you know, it's a cautionary tale or something. Right. But
3: the way it is, it's just – it's I don't know. It's all over the place. If she came home and she was just like, hey, I bought these overly extravagant presents for the kids and I, I bought pizza and I bought this and I bought that and just like – Overdid it with just frivolous spending. Like, and then William Atherton's like, honey, I told you I w- was going to make a roast tonight or something like that, you know, like some sort of like, yeah like you said, show her as a spendthrift, show her as completely frivolous. A refrigerator is not a frivolous purchase. It's a very necessary purpose. The idea of her car breaking down, very necessary. So where is her just like spending money like water on stupid stuff? If she had you know, and I'm sorry if people are like this, but if she had 10,000 shoes in her closet and you know, just all of this stuff that is kind of unnecessary, it's like okay, great. Now we realize that she is out of control with her spending. Yeah. In the cases where she's using the card, they seem (laughs) totally legitimate. I know, Chris, I know you have like 10,000 shoes in your closet. You're very into your shoes.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah.
3: It's that whole idea of it has to match whatever earrings Mm -hmm. you're wearing for the day and all that stuff. (laughs)
1: Whatever earrings, whatever earrings I'm wearing. Yeah. (laughs) It ain't a it ain't a ring on my ear that it's matching. Oh, the Prince ear. Albert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it it is to your point though, both of your points. If you're gonna make this about a terrible person, don't have the thing she ultimately has her downfall be something so important as her right. car. That's just that feels a little cheap. <laughs> in a in an episode that barely works, that feels unnecessarily cheap because her punishment does not fit the crime if she's just trying to get her car fixed. It is everything all at once, I get it, but, like, that being the final straw is not... That doesn't hit home very oh. hard.
2: Also, don't show us what happens with the things that have disappeared. Like, she goes to this office and sees her kids, and they're like, oh, well, we're very good at dispersing, meaning, I guess, that those kids are going to be placed with other humans. So right. what happens to William I think Atherton? I that's amazing. What, what happened gets to the dog? placed with another woman. right. right. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Don't show us any of that. That's insane.
1: Well, it's insane. It's insane for the, for one reason in my mind, it's like being done out in the open. Like her kids are just walking around in this office. There should be some like cosmic thing going on where it's like her kids disappeared and then we're just gone to another family or another universe or something. Not just like, oh, look, there are my kids.
2: (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah, I, I love at the end when they, they start, like, taking everything away. It's all, like, the pieces of furniture and stuff. And it's like, they've already taken her kids. Who cares if the divan is right? Gone?
1: Yeah. But, to be fair, she does get, I think she gets fitting punishment. She gets cut out of existence.
2: Yeah, but, like, everyone in her life got cut out of existence, so. Right. Yeah, they're well, they paying cut out of for existence. They got crimes that she elsewhere. committed. Had That's they fair. had they at the end had the house disappear reappear with the husband and his three children that he's raising on his own and the mother is gone then okay but you know not this
1: yeah that to to your point that yeah you're right it does a little it does seem a little much to punish everybody but they didn't get written out of existence they were just placed elsewhere mm. and their memories rewritten but, even though that is that man's children <laughs> but whatever yeah. this is not a good segment. Mm-mm. No. But let's go to the next segment, The Junction. So The Junction is directed by Bill Duke. Uh, it is written by Virginia Aldridge, and it stars, it stars William Allen Young and Chris Mulkey. Yeah, okay, it's my name. Thanks, Father Malone. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and, I didn't uh, say William it wrong Young twice. Plays, <laughs> that's, no, you're right. I did. Um, and uh, J- he plays John Parker, who goes down into a mine and gets trapped and meets another man in the mine. Who could he be? Also, there's a side plot with his wife not loving him anymore because he cheated on her, and he's trying to win her back. What did you guys think of this segment,
3: Father Malone? You want to go first?
2: Yeah,
1: I thought it was. I thought
2: it was fine. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, pleasant enough, I guess. Um, didn't really uh, sway me one way or another emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. It was a you know a, a pleasant story, well told, I guess, and it uh, it uh, sort of. Uh, Presaged the letter from Doc Brown to Marty in Back to the Future 2 that would uh, eventually occur. Like I, I thought, that was a nice little touch. The uh, the letter from the miner to his uh, to the present day guy's wife. Um, I like the performances. It was you know it was overall good. It was like a, a good episode of The Twilight Zone. Nothing nothing this way or that about it. It was lukewarm.
3: I don't want to sound like a YouTube commenter, but I think that that. Back to the Future letter happens before this letter, as far as the one that Joe Flaherty delivers at the end of the first Back to the Future. Were, were there two letters? Did he do that again the ba- in the uh, s- end of the second one? Yeah, the yes. letter. The letter showed up at the end of the second one, but there was one at the at the, the end of the first one. The, oh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. The one that he right. gives um, to
2: Doc Brown. <laughs> that's, that's funny. funny. That's <laughs> I'm thinking of the Joe Flaherty one only. You're absolutely right. Never mind. I I take back whatever faint praise.
1: No, no, go. I, no, no. I was just saying. Once he fucks with time, he would fuck with time again. It doesn't even matter. Break the rules once, break them twice. It doesn't matter either time.
3: I totally agree with you, Father Malone. As far as I kept thinking of Back to the Future, I was thinking of um, Big Bad John, the old um, uh, Jimmy Dean song. So I was just, yeah, I was. My mind was a lot of other places other than this particular episode. It was yeah. interesting that. <laughs> that the the guy has to go through all of this shit in order to get his wife to forgive him for cheating on her. <laughs> like, because at the end of the day... The only day, way is near death. Exactly. That's the only way. And the guy, the priest kind of fucked up because he was like, hey, we've had this letter here for all this time and I I should have delivered it yesterday. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah. well I'll just wait one more, one day. more day. It I, definitely didn't say one specific day on it. You, you fucking asshole! Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh,
2: that would have been the more uh, Twilight Zone ending, right? The guy dies, and then the letter gets delivered. Right,
1: right. Yeah, it would have.
3: Uh, yeah, because I thought that Chris Mulkey was going to be rescued, and then the black guy never makes it. But I was surprised when they rescued the black guy too. So, and I'm sorry that I'm calling William Allen Young the black guy and Chris Mulkey, Chris Mulkey, but I I know Chris Mulkey as far as his appearances in like Twin Peaks or The Hidden. William Allen Young, I wasn't familiar with him as an actor. Um,
1: it's like this and like very little yeah. else.
3: Um, there were no real like big surprises for me once he found another guy in the mine. I was like, "Oh he's from another mine accident that happened a long time ago it It's kind of like the card it took him a long time to figure that stuff out <laughs> as far yeah. as like you know you better call your union rep you know you're not making enough money in unions we don't have you know i'll I'll show you unions yeah
1: <laughs> I mean we do need to give William Allen Young credit for helping to diversify
3: the uh the screen actors and directors. Yeah, know. hashtag Twilight Zone eighty five so white. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Got him. It's I, I think the best comparison for this segment is the convict's piano. It's very much in that same vein of like you said, Father Malone, fun little story told rather well that exists inside the Twilight Zone. Does anyone get punished? Uh-oh. Nope. In Convict's Piano, sure, a baddie gets punished, but we don't know how bad he really is outside of what we've heard. Nobody gets punished in this episode, even, like you said, Mike, the guy fucks up so badly that a guy could have died because of it. But I, I think it's fun. It's, it's a well-directed, well-written, nice little story that ultimately doesn't do anything new or exciting. It just kind of is here to entertain us and not stink up the joint like so many segments have.
2: Yeah. I agree. Um, let me double there's back really on something. There's nothing going on. Like,
1: there's nothing going on in this no, segment, really. No, I mean,
3: so much of it is them in the mind, like, oh, what is this magical torch? There's no heat coming from it, you know?
1: <laughs> we traveled back into caveman yes. time. What is this thing you have on your arm? Your Honor. What is this mechanical device?
3: Your Honor, I may be just a simple caveman, <laughs> and I don't understand this magical light that comes out of your hat. A hundred and fifty dollars! By
1: Jove, that's a that's two penny farthings more than I would have paid. He's taking this money. Mu- I would like to point out the that money that Chris Mulkey pulls out of his pocket that William Allen Young goes that's counterfeit. Who the fuck is counterfeiting silver certificates? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what the fuck universe is this is not reality. That's counterfeit. Who's counterfeiting silver certificates? Is it you, William Allen Young? Is it your character? Because <laughs> why else would people be counterfeiting 50-year-old money?
3: Kind of weird. Well, let, let me... Uh, but 86
1: uh, aren't going to take silver certificates regardless of whether or not they're real or
2: fake, so... Um. Mike, you had said, like, you know, this is a long way for the lead character to, like, be reconciled with his wife. And I think that therein lies the problem with the episode in that in in most Twilight Zone episodes, we, the character would have at least learned something. Uh, ultimately, there's nothing taught here. He was penitent from the beginning. And it was just it, it was more about, for some reason, her uh, uh, forgiving him. But we focus on him as a character. So it feels like there should have been something he did. And then this event is what teaches him the lesson, as opposed to him already feeling bad, and then
3: he has to go through this for her to forgive him. I I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Pretty strange, yeah. And she's such a... Even though she's there at the beginning, she's there throughout the episode, but she's just such a side character. She's basically like, oh, my husband. Like, through so much of this, I was like, okay, Good, yeah, thanks.
2: And and the thing is, like, it's not even like she's learning that she does love him and and wants him in her life or anything. I mean, she stops to make him breakfast at the beginning, even oh. though she's throwing him out, quote-unquote. So, technically, she didn't learn anything either because you knew she was going to forgive him anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, kind of a, if you go down to the mines and almost die, of course you're going to be forgiven.
2: <laughs> You'll be forgiven quicker if you almost die in the mine is, is right. the ultimate uh, thought process of this episode.
1: Yeah, it's just, honestly, I think I liked Convict's piano more. Oh, God, yes. I think I enjoyed it more, but it's still kind of in the same vein of this. Just, okay, quaint, cute, let's
2: move on. Well, you know, it, it, it's an episode that does not feature a mentally challenged child immolating himself and his father. So, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it falls into the it falls into the pleasant episodes of The Twilight Zone. I just don't think it has anything to say.
3: Yeah.
1: And you know what I didn't realize, Mike? I didn't realize we were going to be watching an episode directed by Bill Duke. Yeah,
3: kind of weird after we just talked about him on the Culture Cast.
1: Yeah, yeah, which I didn't see. I mean, it was a steady hand directing. It didn't do anything unique or exciting or special. Just kind of
2: gave us adequate, well-done directing. Mm -hmm. As someone who's dealing with sound quite a bit, uh, I did think that when they were in the mine, it sounded like they were on a set. And that bugged me. Yeah, I can hear that. It just sounded like, "Hey, we're in this studio, and these are the four walls around us." Yeah, it should have been some echoing or something. That's a nitpick, I know, but nevertheless.
1: I mean, this is something that you've brought up on Chronicles multiple times, which is this feels like a set.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hate when that help happens. Try to
1: sell the atmosphere, hmm.
2: like as much as a problem I had with the uh, the road less traveled as an episode. It felt like a little movie, right? So, oh yeah, kind of no excuse for suddenly reminding us that we're on a set somewhere.
1: Out of the two segments on this episode, because now we have two segments, which do you guys think is the stronger of the two? This one or the card?
3: Ooh, that's tough, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
1: it's like dog turd, cat turd, yeah.
3: I like the characters better for the Junction.
2: Yeah, I'll say the Junction as well because I mean it, it wasn't actively offensive. Like I never once thought like this fucking character is an idiot. I can't wait for them to die. So uh, I'll say just my default Junction.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's I, I'm gonna be kind of curious to see how these dual kind of duals features, double special feature, double feature pl- pans out for the show because it is almost like they're just doing it the way they used to because we used to have one episode with two segments
2: or three it's Mm -hmm.
1: yeah it's I mean okay so they're doing what they used to but I'm excited to kind of see if we're gonna just get some more kind of clunkers or safe plays or maybe we'll get another road less traveled or toys of Caliban
3: yeah cuz I don't understand the next episode looking at Wikipedia where this one it was the card in the junction and it's listed as episode eight nine or thirty two thirty three of all of them and then the next one is listed as ten eleven, but then it's three segments. So I'm like, okay, is it is that gonna be an hour? Is Joyride Shelter Skelter and Private Channel is that gonna add up to an hour?
1: I think one of those, either Joyride and Helter Skelter, or Shelter Skelter and Shelter Skelter, or Private Channel, those have to be halved. Okay. One of those has to be ten minutes each. It has to be. I don't. I don't know. Otherwise, I guess it is.
2: I believe the one after Joyride is is a ten minute segment. Okay.
1: Mm, okay. It's weird. I mean, it 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 definitely is just a really weird direction to take the show all of a sudden to start pairing them all up when you were already doing that. Yeah. You already had two 20-minute segments on this show. What are you doing? So I have no idea. We'll see. I'm I'm excited. But, boy, less of these kind of very just happy-happy, you're back with your wife now.
3: So. No, I don't think so. so.
1: So on the next episode of Dreams for Sale, we're going to be talking about episode... 10, or I guess episode 9, or however the hell we want to put it, but it is split into three parts. Joyride, Shelter Skelter, and Private Channel. Until then, where can people find you, Mike White?
3: Well, you can find me over at the Projection Booth Podcast, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com, and... You can find Chris and I talking about Captain Barney Miller on the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast, which comes out once a month where we talk about a couple episodes of Barney Miller. It's, It's a hoot. What about you, Father Malone? Uh, You can catch me over
2: at FatherMalone.com. You can check out my podcast, Dark Destinations. It's a monthly half-hour radio drama. You can also hear me over on Chronicles from the Crypt, the podcast Chris and I do about the HBO television series, Tales from the Crypt.
1: And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Christmas Claus. That's where I post all the podcasts I work on, CultureCast, Scary Stories We Tell, on Seagal, one-season show, There's a bunch, that's where you can find me. Big thanks as always to Roxy Drive and Neutron Dreams for the music. You can find this podcast at twilightzone85.com and on all podcatchers iOS and Android. We'll catch you on the next episode.